Lemoyne and Diners and Vibers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And today we're having a program about uh, drinks of more of the hard kind, right? Yeah, well, this, 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 there's an entry to wine in there too. In fact, yeah. fact we're starting out that way. Yeah, we, we love talking to Amanda Clute of Eater, uh, which if, if you're not aware of Eater, is your best source for news and views of everything in the in the food industry and in the drink industry and in the hospitality industry. And, uh, and in, we, in, we in, love in, wine clubs. And in the U.S. and around the world, too. Right. Well, yes. But they're, um, always up, they're always up to something new, just like you just said. Yes. And the, the wine club, I mean, how, how many wine clubs are there? Lots and lots of wine clubs. But this one's rather special. And Amanda was um, gracious enough to come on and do a segment about the Eater Wine Club. We're going to be talking to Amanda Clute from Eater.com, uh, who I've never met you, Amanda, but you're, you're really an integral part of my life because I, I get something from you almost every day in my inbox. <laughs> that's and I get, I get something from London almost every day. In my yeah, inbox. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, but anyhow, I'm... Just to bring our listeners up to par here, tell us briefly when Eater started, uh, what it's about, what it does. Sure, yes. Eater started in 2005 as a small network of local restaurant blogs covering restaurant openings and closings and chefs on the move. And over the last 15 years, we've grown into a uh, pretty large food publication. We have oh, uh, branches in 24 cities across the U.S. and the U.K. Um, and also Canada. And we now have um, a big national site. We have a TV show and a podcast and all kinds of other offshoots um, to try to cover everything happening in food culture and restaurants. Yeah, and and also um, things to buy, <laughs> yes, yes. This is the new. The, this is the new thing for us. We just launched a wine club. Right. Well, this is this is what I really wanted to talk to about. I mean, there are, there are millions of gazillions of, of wine clubs around. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. members of our fair share, um, but but you have a, a twist on yours, which I happen to like a lot, and and that's why I asked you to come and talk to our listeners about that. How is it run? Tell us about the Eater and Wine Club. Sure. Well, we, uh, as restaurant obsessives, really missed interactions with sommeliers and having them tell us the wines they're excited about and what we should be drinking with our food now that we're mostly dining at home. So we wanted to create a club where a sommelier, a different sommelier every month, could pick out uh, either two or four bottles of wine and send it to our homes and just tell us what's going on in the wine world. So right now, since we have a network of sites around the country, we choose a different city every month. Uh, We have our editor in that city pick the sommelier they're most excited about, whether they're working in a great restaurant or they've just launched a wine store. Uh, They get to pick a theme and choose some bottles for us. So we get to learn about these different sommeliers around the country, and we get to see what they're drinking. They're an interesting group, aren't they? Yeah, what's great about this for me is I'm very familiar with 
the sommeliers that get a lot of coverage at the national level and also in New York City where I live, but I'm less familiar with the new fresh faces on the ground in cities like Portland or Miami or Chicago. And so I I think there's a dual purpose for someone like me who's a restaurant obsessive to just learn about these people and kind of hear their point of view on wine when I'm so used to the traditional voices. Yeah, there are a variety of different manifestations, I guess, of, of the wine of the wine club. What one we use only because we're cheap, I guess. <laughs> splash. Yeah. And, and splash. Splash has amazing value, uh, but uh, you, you went to the other end of the scale and said we we want to teach people what's good. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely a higher price point. It's seventy dollars, including shipping for two bottles, and um, about a hundred for four. But uh, and you can get much much cheaper um, wine subscriptions, which I've tried in the past. But what you get with this, I think, is is the restaurant quality wine that you're used to drinking when you go out for a good night on the town, and you get this, I think, really special curation. Um, and if you're very into wine, you get to learn about these producers and these importers so you can be armed with that knowledge when you go out and buy wine for yourself at the wine store. No, but you do um, virtual tastings too, don't you? Yeah, so we're hoping this could grow into a community. Uh, we... Every month are doing a tasting and an interview with our sommelier of the month. Uh, we just did our first one last week, and it was so much fun. We had about 100 people or maybe 140 people, and they stayed on for the whole time, which was shocking to me after eight months oh, that's of doing great. Zoom happy hours. I was so surprised that everyone actually stayed through, but they seem to be having a really good time, and I think we're only going to get better at it as we learn what the members liked and what they didn't like and actually how um, well-versed they are in wine, because I think that was a question mark for us going into our event was, are these beginners, are these people who are total wine snobs, or is it somewhere in between? And I, th- I think they're actually somewhere in between. Yeah, I was going to ask you who exactly is signing up for this. Um, you, what part of the country is like more strongly represented uh, in our in our members so far? Yes, uh huh. They seem to be from all over. We we have a big New York contingent, but we had people calling in from Texas, from all over California. We had a few people from Boston. Uh, so it's it's nice to see that there is a geographic spread, but that's something I'm going to be paying attention to because we just launched this. I don't have enough data, but I, I want to see um, where we can actually get our customers, and I'm hoping that we can really get a good represent, representation from people across the country. Now, what what, uh, what mechanism do you use to connect people? Are you using Zoom or Skype or? We use Zoom. We use Zoom for this call. Zoom, um, okay. It has, yeah, we're most familiar with it, and it has a lot of great features that we like. And, and how do you find it? I mean, a lot, a lot of people have been critical of, of Zoom with with large groups because they say that the service isn't very reliable. And oh, it's been okay. We're able. What's nice is we're able to mute everyone, so there's no interruptions there. Oh, okay, um, got it, got it. And yeah, sometimes that that can be an issue. And we're able to, if someone is behaving badly, we can kick them out of the Zoom. So we have some <laughs> tools at our disposal that we can use sure, to make sure, sure that sure. the experience is regulated. 
now uh, they they've also um, eliminated the, the this requirement of no more than forty minutes or something. What was that? Oh yes, we have a. If you sign up, because we have an account through our company, we we don't get kicked off after half an hour, which is also nice. Half an hour. All right. Um, we have a, a, a local event here um, where they they've pulled from various producers and so forth in the, in the area, and uh, they're doing uh, not only the guided tasting but pairing with food. So they're doing local foods too. Oh, that's so smart! Yeah, what, what we've done so far. I is thought that was very like, good, actually. Yeah. yeah, we like to send a recipe from the sommelier, either from the restaurant that they work at or from their family. Like this month, we have a, a Haitian-American sommelier who's sending along a recipe for a soup that her family makes every December. Um, but we haven't gotten to the point yet where we do some sort of cooking experience, but I feel like that's something we could totally play with down the road. Now, do you handle the actual logistics of shipping, of shipping the wine, or are you, are you getting someone else to do that for you? We we partner with someone else who does that for us, which is great to not have to have to figure out that part of the business. Um, but it's a great company called um, Misa M Y S A, and they they really focus on small producers. They have a lot of natural wine, so they really align with the values that we're looking for in terms of the quality of the wine. The reliability issue, too, is important, right? I mean, yeah. get, get, getting it to you when you want it. And uh, the, the, the biggest advantage of the ones that we use, uh, I, I use the ones where their shipments are reliable. I, I yeah. know that 48 to 72 hours after I order online, the UPS man will walk up my steps mm-hmm. with, a heavy, with yeah. a heavy box and I will, usher, I will, I will usher him through the front door and say, "Put it in the usual place." Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think that, that was, ar- that's key to this. <laughs> there's an arm, there's an armchair just inside the vestibule, <laughs> which is the, and and then and then I have to give the UPS guy a couple of chocolate bars. Yeah, we brought the Well, you know, it's like a controlled state, sort of. In Pennsylvania, mm. it's got the, 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 I see. we got kicked out of my most favorite um, a wine club from Oregon. What was it called, Robert? That, that was Elk, Elk Cove. Elk can Cove. You, Elk uh, Cove. Can you can you believe we got fired from the wine club? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they they still theoretically require a signature of someone older than eighteen years of age. Mm, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, really, it's really curious. I don't really know how the UPS man puts the signature on there. Yeah, because <laughs> he... But he, he certainly <laughs> does. Well, well then, you, yeah, you have, you have a good situation going. <laughs> well, we, well we, we discovered his love for chocolate and the leverage <laughs> that gave us when, when things were still really buttoned up by the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board. And now... The, the biggest challenge we've had recently was during the early days of the pandemic because the you can't go to a wine shop in Pennsylvania. There, mm. are no such th- there are no such things. There are PLCB stores, but they, they all have only had one telephone line. Yeah, you couldn't. Oh, my gosh. So, oh, so my you gosh. Could, you could spend your day on music on hold 
hoping like hell that you you would manage to be able to get through before the store closed. Otherwise, you'd have no wine. (laughs) That, yeah. I I feel like of all the states, Pennsylvania has has one of the strangest setups. Well, you know, if you ever talk to people in the wine business, we have friends that own a wine um, business selling and also a school, you know, (laughs) with classes and so forth. And um, she once just traced for me all the gymnastics you to go through, the acrobatics, I guess it would be better, <laughs> to even get your wine ordered. It was just absolutely amazing. So, uh, of course, I mean, I, I, that was something that was very hard to get used to um, because I was used to just calling and ordering my wine and having somebody deliver it. But um, wow. now... Do you think that that there's a difference because people are, are, are housed and um, imprisoned pretty much through this pandemic? Well, it was definitely the inspiration for us because we knew we would be mostly drinking from home for so much longer. We wanted this idea of having sommeliers choose for us. So I think for a lot of people that that does motivate them to sign up, that they know that they're not going to be dining the way they're used to for quite a while. And we're hoping that they enjoy the experience so much that they stick with it um, even after the vaccine and after the world has opened back up again. Right now, I, See, I, think, to- I think there's going to be a definite shift. I think there has been a definite shift, and I think it's going to last even when the mm-hmm. pandemic is gone. Uh, we've, had, we've had to shift a lot of our content from um, – I mean, we use, cover – main food, wine events, and awards like 50 Best Restaurants, stuff like that, James Beard, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and um, or restaurants. And, of course, that all went away. All the events were canceled. All the restaurants yeah. closed. But um, and so we've, we've actually explored the creativity of a lot of people in the industry shifting their, their market shifting their business model and it's been rather amazing it, it has the creativity on display is, is pretty wild now yeah. is, the, is, the, is, the, is the wine club operating in, in all of the countries or no just the United States it's only in the United States so far States just right the now. United States yeah yeah so we'll see I, I imagine we'll probably keep it in the United States um, for a while at least but, but yeah to, to your point Anne I just I think it's remarkable what people have been able to come up with, turning their restaurants into groceries, um, turning chefs turning themselves into teachers on Zoom, coming up with products that they, consumer products that they mail um, to their fans. It's, it's remarkable how they've been able to kind of shift to survive. Yeah, well, we, we sort of shifted, as I said, a lot of our content mm-hmm. to that kind of uh, shift in, in marketing and, and the supplying of specialty food, particularly, and, uh, and booze, obviously. And I, I don't see people going back fully um, to the so-called before. What do you think? No, I, I think you're right. I, I think... People will be excited to reopen their restaurants, and there will be a lot of pent-up demand, but I don't think they will lose this new line of business that they've started, especially for people who, you know, have successfully pivoted into retailers. 
um, or if they found business through other avenues, I think they're going to try to keep that going while still opening their restaurants. What I'm most curious about is to see how, what the demand is like next year. I think there is going to be a lot of pent-up demand, but then will that plateau out? Will people, now that they, they're so used to cooking, do they want to stay home more than they would have in 2019? Now, London, London seems particularly active. Oh, my favorite mm-hmm. restaurant's out of business permanently in London. Do you see that, too? Wow, that's such a shame. What, what, yeah. is, your, what is the restaurant? It was the Ledbury. I loved it. Oh, oh yeah. That's oh, a great that restaurant. Yeah. So, but, um, well, and there are other restaurants that have closed. How many restaurants have closed? Oh, oh, so many. I think London is interesting in that, you know, I'm so used to following the news in the U.S., and we are going back into lockdown in London. As you guys know, this week they are kind of emerging from their latest lockdown, so it will be right, right. Um, interesting to, to watch those parallel paths and how they go. Yeah, we just, we did, we just got an email directly from Sushi, Sushi Samba. Oh, yes, yeah, Sushi which, Samba, which is, yeah. Which is one of our very, very favorite places. Oh, that's great. They're reopened, yeah. Yeah, they, well, they reopened, they reopened this week, and I put a news item up, up on our website to let people know. And I, and I said, what, what, you should, what you do is get a reservation while you can, because their wait list <laughs> used to be like three months. But then, but then as far wow. as your menu is concerned, you just say, Chef Claudio, feed me. <laughs> and, and we've done, we've done that several idea. times. And it's always, it's always been fantastic. Wow. Now, while we're talking about um, wine and so forth and so on, uh, I'm going to make a, a kind of a, a jerky shift here. <laughs> is, um, okay. It's one of those um, industries that all of a sudden with this pandemic and other things going on, um, there's been a, a shift on the whole issue of diversity. And um, we interviewed um, that, that woman who uh, who represents black winemakers, is it? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, and but I see it happening, and it used to be a very odd thing to see, actually, a black winemaker. And now that's opening up uh, women... Um, that's the opening in sommeliers for women has shifted drastically, I think, as well as uh, as the winemakers. Um, from your perspective, um, this is all positive stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think there's more of a light being shed on why some of these people have been kept out of um the wine world and, and certain wine circles. I think there was, you all read the important piece in the New York Times about the court of sommeliers. And just now, did you write a, an article about that? That I was, I loved the, the article about how uh, women just didn't even bother applying because they were not going to be, you know, on their back with this whole thing. It was, I mean, Julia Moskin at the Times did that big expose. Oh, on she it, did it. Okay, heard, yeah, yeah. But we've been hearing this over the years. How about so many people, I mean, it's, it's a bigger problem in the restaurant industry as well, but they just don't even want to deal with it because they know what they're stepping into and they know there would be so much harassment and it just doesn't, doesn't seem worth it to them. So exactly. I think, yeah, when we see, we see, oh, why, why are there, why are there any women in, in wine or women chefs, we, we think, or even, you know, same with diversity, why aren't there more black chefs in positions of power? A lot of times we 
we think it's one reason or another, and sometimes it's the most obvious one. Like, they are just treated so poorly, and they don't want to go through it anymore. So it's nice that we're going this moment where that light is being shined. We have to... We used to have a, a, a wine festival here that um, drew pretty much globally, I think. And uh, one, we should meet some interesting winemakers. But I remember um, there was one guy who he stood out. He was probably the only African-American uh, winemaker. Um, what did you say, Mac? McDonald. McDonald. Mac McDonald, and he called himself Mac. Mac, yeah. And... Uh, I was so excited to see him in this all white kind of environment. We interviewed him in the parking uh, lot. Uh, in the parking lot, <laughs> <laughs> um, with his, uh, the trunk down, so we could put our equipment on it. <laughs> we, we were very, That's we were incredible. very primitive in those days. We, that was a long we time actually ago. used we actually used microphones plugged directly into the computer, so the computer had to be wow. had to be up and going. But we we figured out that we could do that rested on rested on his trunk. <laughs> well, uh, some, sometimes you get, sometimes you get a thrill, and uh, and you probably won't even remember <laughs> this. But on the subject that we were just referring to, the last the last time we were at La Bernardin, the, the oh the, I love her. The general yeah. man the general manager was obviously of South American descent. I mean you could tell because of the features that are common to people who come from that region and I thought to myself you know what I'll bet that guy started off washing dishes in the kitchen oh he did too You're and, right. and he made it all the way mm-hmm. to front of house yeah. as, an, as, a, as an Ecuadorian immigrant yeah now, I hope you're going to talk to their salmon did she move on she might still be there. Oh, she, well, maybe she moved on, but we, yeah, we, um, we have the first six months booked. Um, and I think we'll be coming back to New York again later in the year, but we want to make sure we're going to go to somebody in Miami next month and then Chicago. And then we have one in Portland and San Francisco. So eventually we'll come back to New York and I'm sure we'll get to learn it in. And some of those, how do people sign up? Yeah. Oh, so you can go, thank you, go to eaterwineclub.com and you can sign up right there. Great. And you can also and give it as a gift for the holidays if you like. Just I a, saw a that in today's gift. thing, yeah. That's a great gift, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think so, especially for someone who you don't know who to shop for, but you know they enjoy wine, please sign up. And, and of course, you could go sign up for your newsletter, which is um, just packed with information that you really need to know if you're involved with the industry or interested in food, wine, anything along those lines, uh, hospitality, anything. Uh, and, and that's on your website, which is eater.com, right? Yep, on eater.com you can sign up for um, for any of our newsletters, but I have a weekly newsletter from the editor uh, where I try to round up the most important food and dining news of that week and offer a little commentary when I um, when I have the mental space for it. Sometimes I'll just go straight into the news. <laughs> well, it's, it's the well I, I think you're doing a great job. For every day, so. Thank you. Yeah. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.com.
www.thebibleshow.net. And uh, next up, we're going to be actually doing not one but two tequilas, uh, starting with this really wonderful um, artisanal, small batch, sustainable tequila brand called Mienta. Um And we're going to be talking to the uh, founder and CEO, Ana Maria Romero Mena, and, and, and helping us with the translation is Juan Coronado. And uh, they're going to talk to us about this really wonderful, wonderful tequila, as well as the beautiful bottles. Yeah, and say it. Not only, not only, all the graphic. Not only tastes good. Not only tastes good. It, it looks, look, looks fantastic. Right. Just the kind of thing you want to have on top of your cocktail cabinet. This is going to be very interesting. We are having a conference call uh, interviewing on Maria Romero Mena and uh, Juan Coronado uh, of um, tequila, artisanal, small batch, a sustainable tequila brand called Mejanta, which is delicious. Uh, and we also are going to be doing a bilingual. So uh, listeners, you, you'll notice that uh, Peter and I will ask questions in English, and, um, and then um, Ana Maria will uh, actually be replying in Spanish, which Juan will translate into English for all of our English-speaking uh, listeners. Um, Anna, I am overwhelmed, Anna Maria, with uh, how courageous and how um, uh, creative you've been. Whatever made you start out in, in a male-dominated field called tequila manufacturing um, in in Mexico, and you are in Guadalajara, right? Okay. Okay, Ana. Buenas tardes, and hello to everybody. This is Juan. La primera pregunta que pregunta Ana es que está sorprendida con la creatividad y... El, la destreza en que se ha desenvolvido en un mundo predominantemente dominado por hombres que son tequileros y tú estás llevando la bandera campante. ¿Qué te hizo empezar en este mundo? Eh, bueno, lo, lo primero que, eh, que para mí fue muy valioso es que el agave es totalmente mexicano, que cuando tú tienes pasión por lo que haces, no importa que seas mujer, eh, eso no tiene nada que ver, sino simplemente la parte de entender el funcionamiento de una industria tan fascinante, una historia tan compleja y de cómo los sentidos intervienen en cada proceso. Eso es lo que realmente a mí me, me gusta mucho y, no es, y para mí no, no he tenido ningún problema en el tema de por ser mujer no eh, trabajar en lo que a mí me apasiona. Ana, este, no sé si tienes audífonos, pero se veía un poquito muy, muy, muy agudo para mejorar. Well, can you talk a little louder, Juan? Yes. So what Ana must say is that Blue Weber Agave and Agaves are products of Mexico, are a gift to Mexicans. And she say 
there's not a challenge on her on her part in order to like be partaking in this beautiful industry that requires a lot of senses and you know she has been welcome and her curiosity has led her to become better and better all the time. Well, she has certainly done a, a great deal. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about um, her accomplishments? Sure. Ana, ¿podrías mencionarnos algunos de tus grandes éxitos en el mundo del tequila? Claro, Juanito. Mira, el primero fue la oportunidad de eh, investigar el desarrollo de los aromas del tequila. El, el segundo es el haber escrito el libro y la investigación llevada a cabo. Y el último es diseñar eh, tequilas de alta gama como tequila mijenta, volcán de mi tierra, en fin. Ok. So, first accomplishment that Ana had was the creation of a te aromatic tequila kit. So, that will help people understand the aromas and the complexity of tequila. Her second one was kind of linear to that, and it was the compilation of so much information that she has gathered for many years, which became a book. And then on the third was like the creation of different profiles on tequila flavors and aromas, such as Mijenta, our brand that she has worked with us. She works also on Volcán de Mi Tierra and among others. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing, outstanding contribution. And um, it's the tequila itself is magical. It's really good. And it's it's also um, conscious of sustainability and uh, and the environment. Sweet, I can, can I ask a question? Yes. What what is the difference or the similarity between maguey and agave? <laughs> okay, I'm going to respond that. Ana, yo les respondo para que si no perdamos eh, la línea. So. Maguey is the general name for the family of those plants. So maguey okay. is an agave. So in the case of tequila, we can only use blue weber agave. Ah, okay. Okay, okay now that, that, there's another spirit that's made from agave called... There's, there's many, many, many of them. Many distillates oh, okay. are made from different agaves. But for tequila... You know, you can only use blue weather agave. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> mezcal is the one I was thinking of. Mezcal. Yeah. Another mezcal are all the varietals of the agave, which Mexico has many, many, many of them. But for tequila exclusively, you can only use blue weather agave. Ana, I don't uh -huh. know if you, Ana, ¿quieres añadir algo más? Yes. Eh, porque cuando llegaron los españoles a México, ellos lo primero que vieron era plantas parecidas a las que vieron allá y los indios decían maguey. Ana, perdona, por eso que se les decía así, así. ¿Te podrías acercar un poquito más al micrófono? Ay, no, Juan, estoy es muy, muy acercada. Lo que pasa es que cuando los españoles llegaron a las Antillas, las plantas que vieron, los indios decían magueyes. Y cuando eh, llegan a, América, a México, ellos fueron los que la vieron iguales y les dijeron magueyes. 
So I have to say, when the Conquistadors arrived to Mexico, the name was Maguey, but they uh, couldn't pretty much say that all the time, so they called it Magave. Ah. Okay, all right. Now, now on, in, in the box, the very elegant box in which the tequila came to us, you have, you have a number of stories, like the story about when, when the sun meets the moon. It's the most beautiful Maguey plants are born. Yeah, Tell us about those actually, stories. For me, if you want to hear it. Um, so we wanted to create, um, I approached Ana Maria several years ago, and I approached her with a um, never-ending quest for the creation of a profile that was both traditional and culinary at the same time. I'm a person that I understand that I believe, like many of you will share this with me, that the best times among friends and family happen when you're sitting down enjoying a drink, enjoying a dish, and perhaps both, which is even better. And we wanted to create an approach that was both, that had the essence and aroma and flavor of the land, and also the artistry of the culinary where we're going. So finding Anna for us was a blessing in the sense of like she truly understood what I was saying. I was going around saying culinary, uh, elegant, delicate, but traditional. People were like looking at me like, okay, you're confused. But Anna grasped it for me and right away like we started working on this profile, which mm-hmm. for her it was something that she wanted to do for a long time. She wanted to work on a project like this and we were very cautious by selecting the Blue Weber agaves that we bought, where we got them from, how we harvest them, how they were transported to the distillery that we chose to use, how the crushing, the cooking, the fermentation, the distillation, and the homogenization of the product was scared. We're very even styling and labeling. So tequila is a piece of art. At the end of the day, I would say that tequila is a gift from the gods to mankind and has to transform it into art, and that is tequila. And I was able to achieve each one of those points and create a profile that you can take it. You can hands up. You definitely pick it up. You're like, wait, this is different. This is something unique. This is, I can drink. I, I want to frame that box. It's so beautiful. Yeah, no, the care that she did. So when we say um, when the sun, you know, meets the moon at certain part of the day, which happens in Aranda, in certain parts of the day, in the morning and in the afternoon, you can see on one side the sun and in the other side the moon. One kind of like holding like, you know, kind of like in, in a romantic way, I would say, that they're, you know, sharing the shift for the earth, and believe me, maguey or agave, whoever agave, they do benefit from the presence of both, and that's romantic. Yeah. That's magic. Well, what about these 400 mischievous rabbits? <laughs> well, that's, a, that's another question for me, and thank you for asking that one as well. <laughs> when we, yeah, this is a question for Juanito. Well, what, yeah, I'll answer that. When you when you say sheep is rabbit, you are one of them. You know? <laughs> yeah, each one of us are that rabbit. So uh-huh. it's a long story. 
and happened that, uh, you know, there's several stories that reflect that and relates to Mexico and to the fertility of the land in Mexico. They've been saved oh, by, rabbits, the right? Nito, by the Phantom Touch of Nito legend that once a year, 400 sheep is rabbits needs and they, you know, get in part and, and share knowledge and experiences. And that's what we do when we, when we gather in a table or in a bar and we sit among friends and we share and exchange knowledge and experiences. That's what we do every day. So we are all part of the 400 Mischievous Rabbits that meet once in a while and, you know, and share their experiences. You know, that's Peter's nickname. You know, Peter's nickname is uh, Rabbit. Rabbit, there we go. So he loves that, that there are 400 Mischievous Rabbits. There are only 399 of them in Mexico. There's one here. (laughs) Really? There you go. But Rabbit, you wanted to ask about, we got Blanco, and you wanted to know about, do you also make Anejo and Reposado? And the answer is yes. Our plan uh-huh. is to continue to develop the flavor profile with the same channels of flavor and aroma that we have in Blanco, and put them through the evolution and the maturation of wood. So we are having um, Reposado on the works right now, and we will launch in December 1st in the United States. Uh, our Añejo is due definitely 12 months or more, who knows? And we don't do uh, the aging or the maturation period to a calendar statement. We are putting products that Anna and I would taste. Like this past week, I sat down with Anna and tasted 20 barrels. Identifying a favorite one, the ones that should be on the brand of Mijenta Reposado, we will eventually do that the same with the ones that are going to be part of the Añejo as well. Just seeking the best and blending them and creating that profile that is continuous. Mijenta has a unique flavor, and that's what we're trying to follow. We don't want to change it through the Añejo to the different categories. You know what I mean? Right. I think... I think Herradura was the was the brand that everybody seemed to think was quite superior. When I was in Mexico, I I spent some time working for General Motors of Mexico in the 1960s. Wow. So, I, so, I, so I sampled quite a lot of tequila. You weren't there in the 1960s. Oh, big pun. Was in the 1980s. Sorry, 1980s. I was definitely not there. <laughs> Um, now, what is your largest market? I mean, is it the Mexicans or is it um, uh, overseas or North Americans? What's, what's your market? You know, so far we just have launched in the United States, and but nevertheless, we do want to go to Europe, and yes, we will definitely launch in Mexico. That's actually on the works right now, and with the help of Anna, we're going to be spreading out the Mijenta seeds all around. We have some trips due to the United States, hopefully soon with Anna. And then in Mexico, which is, you know, the key of modern time, we definitely want to have a, a shared presence. Um, as you know, I come from the, the bar world, and, you know, everybody's like curious about what Juan Coronado and Maria Romero are doing. And um, we just can't wait to see him down 
explore his cocktail and meeting with Alan and Cocktail Ballet, the tequila operation, learn the flavors of it and the aromas of Aranda to come through of the cocktail. So, yeah, we, we have ambitions. We are we have 400 cocktail rabbits around, so we're going to use their network. <laughs> See, I like I like sipping it. Oh, no, totally. Yeah, listen, that's the way I drink it. You know, that's yeah. the way I drink it. I always like respect the consumers, you know, opinions and ideas. And uh, there might be somebody that wants to drink it with milk. And amen, you know, let it be. But it will be a, a holy glass of milk. <laughs> no, the, the popular mixture with tequila is, what is it called? Sangrita. Yeah. Which, which looks for all the world like the tomato juice you put in the Bloody Mary. <laughs> Except it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't have any tomato in it. It's all fruit juice. But the, uh, the bartender at the American Airlines airline club at the Mexico airport used to make his own spices. Yeah, and fresh every day. Yeah, fresh every day. Every morning. Right. Are you guys still there? Hello? Can I hear you? Oh, good. Okay. Um, now, I mean, when, when you get this out, um, it, do you, how are you going to expand? I mean, you're very conscious of environmental issues. Um, is there a, a controls on, on your footprint, your environmental footprint? Absolutely. Um, this is, you know, every day as we as consumers are more aware of practices on production and we as producers now of tequila are more aware of techniques and, you know, ways of to reduce like CO2, ways to reduce the mass and gas, etc. We are very aware of that, and that's what we want to offer. We are very conscious. I, I'm a very big, big participant on, you know, sustainability products. I buy things like that, you know. And um, they do make a difference in our consumers, in our planets. We want to respect the tradition of tequila. We don't want tequila as a product to disappear one day, like, oh, there's no more, or we ate it all, or the global warming kept. We want to be participants, active participants of this change, of this progress towards sustainability. Like our labels are made out of the plastic. You know, we're trying to harvest our maguey or our agaves close by the distillery, so there's minimal transportation. And we're working on towards that. Like you know, we want to advance and create better ways for the magas. Magas is used to export textile for paper, for boats. And we were on the other part of that. We're, like, looking forward to that all the time. Like, uh, one of our uh, counterparts, Elise um, Sum, she's in London right now, and she's, like, the spearhead. She has a, a couple of, like, degrees in sustainability, and that's fantastic. She's being very helpful to us and keeping the eye and the ears out there for anything new that happens that we can, you know, be part of it and create a lower impact into your planet. Now, what's the, what's the distinction 
between the Altos Planos Collective and your business? Altos Planos is the mother brand, the company that we have in the United States, that Minenta becomes part of that portfolio. And you know me, you know, there's going to be more out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so what's next here? I mean, I noticed that people have started stepping up the um, the marketing of um, mezcal. It seems to be a trend. Yeah, mezcal is very trending right now, and it's being recognized. You know, I always say this: where there is an amazing tequila, there's nothing on Coronado to drink. And in some way and somehow. Anna and I, we have shared several, like, tequilas. And even tequila cocktails out there. You know, every time I'm drinking out tequila with man, I get more convinced about that. And no, with no disrespect to other spirits, like, uh, you know, uh, I wish I would have been drinking more tequila, more good tequila more often, you know? <laughs> but, yeah, I know. Definitely opened my eyes into, like, exactly uh, I was, like, dreaming of. So, for us, it's a dream come true rather than, you know, oh, we made a tequila, let's try to sell it. You know, if you want to sell, as I say, I'll drink it, no problem. <laughs> well, you certainly have a, a, a wonderful uh, product and um, in, in, in every way, in presentation, and, uh, and it sounds like you have a really fine organization, too. I think that... Um, that you have just about everything under control. Um, why is that from the leadership, or what, what do you attribute that to? Well, it's um, a well-run business, is what I'm saying. I attribute that because I'm a lucky rabbit, and yeah, that's the truth. I'm a lucky rabbit. This was a great conversation that I was having years ago with one of my partners, Mr. Mike Dolan, and. You know, and he got all his power, and he, he runs with it. And me coming into this part of it, like, was key. Irina coming into it has been marvelous. Irina has transformed our dreams into, like, words, and that's amazing. Anna transformed our dreams into, like, a liquid that is called amazing, beautiful Mijenta Tequila. And we have all the amazing rock stars in the group. Um uh-huh. But some way or the other one, you know, the puzzle is kind of like almost finished. And I consider that I'm very lucky because, like, wow, I'm just of experience in, in the alcohol industry. And, you know, you got Mike Dolan, you got Mike Howard, you got Irina, like, rock stars. And then you bring Anna, oh, my God, like, I mean, it doesn't matter what we do, it's going to be amazing. You got the best chef in the house. Well, I think it's an amazing story, an amazing product, and I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk to you about it and to meet you and to get to know you. I just have to figure out what to do with that wonderful box. (laughs) Well, uh, the box has amazing art and story. Right now, I will encourage you to start counting the rabbits in the box, outside, (laughs) in the front, and inside, too. 
because I'm hitting ones, okay? Plus the ones in the bottle. That'll be fun when you take, you know, your sipping nice dosage of tequila, no? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, gracias, muchas. Uh, Ana, uh, Maria, Romero, Mena, and uh, Juan Coronado, and, um, uh, and, and, and the help we received from uh, Purple PR and Arena and um, Taylor, and, and it's been a great experience for us. Makes me missing Mexico, actually. <laughs> oh, I yeah. wait. We, we don't travel anywhere anymore. We, we usually are traveling several times, um, you know, a, a month, like every week or every other week, and now we have been nowhere. So soon we'll be past this, I hope. Listen, I can wait till one day I have my two Anas in front of me and we get to, like, enjoy our <laughs> talk and, and philosophize about Mimenta Tequila. That sounds There's great. a lot of layers there. I can wait to have Ana Maria and you and a house <laughs> in a bar and we can sit Mimenta Tequila soon and enjoy a nice meal. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> okay. Hasta uh, luego. <laughs> Yes, we're we're going to be, as I promised, talking about uh, the second tequila. Um, anyhow, at Tavi, which means good in the company, Tavi Egerton's company does good. Um, and it is good, and and he, Tommy himself is going to tell us all about it. It's, it's so stylish you wouldn't believe it. Oh yeah, you're going to put this one on your liquor cabinet. Too. It's, it's on ours. In fact, all, all all three varieties are on ours. Right. But anyway, let's let's hear from Tommy. the guy. The guy who really knows what it's about. Now we we are really taken with this new tequila, Tavi Tequila, and we're going to be talking to its founder and CEO, Tavi Egerton, um, who, uh, it's, uh, tell us the story. I mean, the story, Tavi itself means good, and, and you said that there's no way since I don't really know you that I know if you are, but I can tell you the tequila is. <laughs> That's good. for sure. Glad to hear. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, we want to talk to you about how it came about that, of all things, you decided to enter making a tequila as as a yeah, career. Absolutely, I'd be happy to tell you. So, um, you know, I've been a businessman since I was a young man. Um, owned different businesses, did different things, and in doing so, did a lot of entertaining. Uh, most notably. A uh, few times a year, there'd be conventions and whatnot in, in Las Vegas, which would be entertaining a dozen or so uh, um, associates. Obviously, there'd be a lot of drinking and a lot of eating. Um, when I was about 38 years old, uh, suffering uh, interesting health issues, uh, none, none life-threatening, but all annoying, I was uh-huh. diagnosed as allergic to all alcoholic beverages, not alcohol oh, no. itself, 
but alcoholic beverages. So that'd be wine, beers, vodkas, rums, wines, huh? scotches, all the things that I was drinking with my friends. <laughs> so after a few years of uh, sobriety um, and a new diet, although feeling really good, the large gatherings in, in Vegas and other places entertaining my customers was difficult to do, as you've probably experienced if you've not been drinking in a social environment and it gets to be late at night, two in the morning, and you've heard a lot of jokes over and over and they're the same ones <laughs> and you're getting a little tired of it, whereas had you been drinking socially with them, you would be laughing along at it after the tenth time as well. So after one of these... <laughs> no, I mean, I, these... I know this from from um, my youth when, um, I mean, I, I'm not into, um, I've never been tolerant of drugs and things, and I think there's probably nothing worse than being the only one sober in, in a room where everybody's stoned. <laughs> I'm sure everybody understands it to some point of degree. When I was young, I wasn't a young drinker. I didn't start drinking till I was, oh gosh, I know the I know the legal age in the United States is 21, but uh, it didn't interest me till I was a little older than that. So mm-hmm. when I was younger, just like you said, um, you know, I'd be at these parties with my friends and experienced the same thing. But as I got older and work was involved, I felt it was a little bit more important to be on the same wavelength as your customer, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to keep him as a customer and not not uh, not dislike him the next day. So uh, after a doctor's appointment, it was uh, discovered that I was allergic to all alcoholic beverages that – surprised me and and even today when I tell this to people they say well what about this and what about that as I did with the doctor as well thinking that the first thing I said was was vodka it's clear um, people think there's not much involved in in uh, in as as far as ingredients in it but I'm allergic to it and she explained to me why and it's it's all the ingredients and and how they make it mm-hmm. so obviously I said, more or less, after a couple of years, I went back to her and I said, in an emergency situation, what can I drink with with my uh, friends and colleagues? And she said, the only thing you can ever drink again is 100% blue agave tequila. First thing that came came to mind was Jose Cuervo and some of the rough nights uh, I've experienced and my friends have experienced on... You know, a cheap tequila like that. It's uh-huh. it's a mix, though, as you know. It's not a hundred percent. So I, I didn't I didn't I didn't know that, but uh, oh well, Tavi tell, tell tequila is exactly. So I didn't know it either. So after a year of, of research and trying different brands, hundred percent blue acave tequila means that the only thing in that drink is a hundred percent blue agave plant, and then the fermentation and then the distillation process. The cheaper brands like Jose Cuervo, and I'm not knocking it, it, ha- it has its position in the world, but it's a yeah. mixed dose. So 50, 51% of it is tequila. The other 49% is, um, you know, sugar, alcohols, methanols, flavors, all okay. kinds of things to make it taste the same. So not, obviously, those are, those are where the horror stories when you're younger come from of being 
really hungover and yeah. stuff like that. So I think I think that's kind of my story of of how I got to realize that I was allergic to alcohol, and then I could only drink tequila. So after a year of researching it and drinking other products, it it really dawned on me that I wasn't enjoying the drink as it was and uh, had a little time on my hands and decided that I was going to go down to Mexico and research the process and make a better product that tastes better. So now, now, I did so. Now, now Davi, you, your, your product is, is made in California? No, sir. It's made no. in Mazamitla, Mexico, which Mexico. is a couple hours okay. outside of Guadalajara. Okay. So believe it or not, it's made in the highest distillery in the world, uh, the highest tequila distillery in the world. At seven thousand. Yeah, you read that and read it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I was puzzling over what that meant. Well, there's a reason for that. So I used to make it at a at a lower elevation, although the the um, the premium high end area where where the premium high end tequilas are made, but it had a it has a temperature fluctuation throughout the year that is a little too much for for the perfect conditions to dis- ferment and distill Tavi tequila. So I've moved it higher where it doesn't, uh, the, the weather, the temperature does not um, uh, fluctuate as much. So therefore I can make it all year round, whereas in the other areas I was only making it in the cooler winter months. Interesting. I never thought about that. Yes. Very and, interesting. And, and, your, and your product is how many times distilled? You know, we only distill it two times. Two. Right in the field is where we start the process of okay. making Tavi tequila. We do not take every agave out of the field. We hand pick, hand select is a better word, because everybody in the industry hand picks their tequila because that's how it's done. There's no machines. But we hand select. And if it's not large enough, big enough, or mature enough, or it's too much mature, we won't uh, take it out of the field. We'll leave it for somebody else. Yeah, and I remember there was an episode. It was right after um, Peter was working on a project in Mexico, and, um, and we had been drinking tequila. And I read this article saying that all of a sudden it became very popular and that they, they, they had not planned ahead uh, the, the, to plant enough agave, blue agave, to meet market demand, did you run into any of that problem? You know that it, we it's a it's a daily not a daily it's a yearly problem, as you and Peter probably know. It's an eight year um, maturation of the actual yeah, agave plant. So if you have a winter or summer of disease, that's a year taken out of the system. Ooh, okay. Not to mention, if you plant a field on on day one you need to plant seven other fields in order to have production in eight years for another eight years. So it's you know, not you like didn't pick the easiest thing to produce, you know. <laughs> you know, if, no, I knew, no, if I knew that at the time, I might have done something different. But uh, <laughs> I didn't, and I'm, in, I'm into it neck deep, so there's no, no going back now. Now, Tommy, no, no. What, something, something very special not really to do necessarily with tequila is what is what attracted our attention to your story. So, tell us the story that is the recent history of Tavi and, well, and 
and things you've been doing. Sure. Well, you you know the story of why I'm in the tequila business, as it's the only yeah. alcoholic beverage I can drink and wanted to make right. a better one for myself. I'm sure you've seen the bottle you've got it there. And yeah, I wanted to ask you about packaging. I mean, what what ever possessed sure, you? It must be very expensive to produce that bottle. It's it's extremely expensive, but I think it's worth it. So uh, I, I love it. You know, first here, I noticed the um, the in, in size um, figure in the, the the hollow section of the bottle itself, and then you have a um, a stopper, a circular, a round stopper, and there's another figure of a woman in that stopper. I mean, yeah, how so is, let's I, talk. Let's yeah. talk about that and try to tell your listeners what we have here. So as you said, in the back of the bottle is a, uh, um, a figurine of a lady with her arms stretched out. Obviously, a lot of people think it's it's in the shape of Jesus Christ, but it's, it's what? not. What that is is, uh, <laughs> well, a, a woman, Jesus Christ. But what that <laughs> is, 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 it's a symbol. The woman is a symbol for the for the letter T which stands not only for tequila, but also for Tavi. And in the, in the stopper is, is an actual 3D rendering of the same woman in the back of the bottle, uh, front and back in the same, um, uh, the, the same uh, form, the T. The well, it's, it's absolutely a, gorgeous. You know, it's, it, it's un, the only, it, you, you have, if you empty a bottle, you have a problem of what to do with the other one because you can't toss it. <laughs> well, it's more than a bottle. It becomes a decanter. So, um, it's, now, here's, it's, the, here's the tricky question. Is she wearing yeah. clothes or not? You know, I didn't. I didn't know if I wanted to go there, but you're you're <laughs> quite right. You notice, Peter, that she is uh, completely naked. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought that was probably it, but I thought I'd better ask. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> and, and Tommy, not, have you seen the Vavoon vodka? It's not Mrs. Tommy. Have you seen that? Like that? Tommy. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that, Anne. What was that? Have, have you seen the Vavoon vodka bottle? Vavoon? No, I have not. The no, VA uh, Vavoon. Vavoon. You know, no, like as, as, as you know, I I don't drink vodka, so I don't. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you you really ought to take a look at it online. I mean, just to see it. It's um, the top of the bottle is a a naked woman's torso with vavoom oh. boobs. <laughs> it's ah, hand okay. hand blown in Milan. Well, Tavi Tequila gives you the whole girl, not just her torso. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 let's go back to the story. The, the story of how, how you're responding to this really ugly situation that, that we all find ourselves in. Cause you, cause yeah, we, uh, you, know, you know, Peter, we're a small brand, so we're still trying to grow. We're getting into markets. We have uh, major distribution, but uh, we were stuck with, what everybody was stuck with this year is the the COVID, which, as you know, uh, liquor is sold in bars and restaurants, and those, for the most part, were closed down. Right. So I, I, my, my sister is a nurse, and um, she was telling me the, the hours that they were putting in and the work that they were putting in and the workload that they were putting in, that earlier this year I offered a... Um, 
a special opportunity for the healthcare workers to nominate um, some of their hardworking colleagues, knowing that um, they would get a gift from us and they would not only be able to enjoy it with their friends, but their friends would be recognized. So we did that throughout the spring with, with great response all over the United States. Um, uh, you, you know, the, the, the gift was a bottle of Tavi tequila. So it was, you know, it was a, um, it was an expensive project, but I just felt that during the time it wasn't, it wasn't about cost. Uh, it was about uh, appreciating the work that, that real people that had to go to work every day regardless of the orders to stay at home or or take better better precautions these people on the on the hospital front lines from janitors right up to the top doctors had to go to work every day and i just wanted to take the opportunity to give them something maybe on a weekend or when they when they got that day off or or that time off that they could enjoy something with their friends and and colleagues and both so, sides of the equation got got recognition, right? The, peop- the people who nominated somebody to receive the gift and the people who actually got the gift and had the opportunity to share it with their friends. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's how it works. They, I, I would think. I mean, I, I uh, you know, if you if you nominated me, Peter, I would be happy to to uh, bring you over and share the bottle with me. <laughs> <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that's true. Now, we 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 know not the everything there is to know about tequila, but we thought there were only uh, there was like a Bianco or Blanco and a Reposado and an Anejo. An they have platinum. You've got another one called Platinum. Very good point. Um, platinum is. In the Blanco category, so as okay, as right. um, as people know or don't know, Blanco is unaged tequila. Reposado is aged, and so is uh, añejo oh, and extra yeah. añejo and anything else. So if the color but is it's gold, most, it's, the platinum is your most expensive one. That's very much so. Purest. So in the Blanco category, uh, there is. A very very few companies that the CRT has uh, recognized and enabled the word platinum to be used, and where that comes from is you have to uh, you have to show a, an extra special pro- manufacturing process, which we do, and therefore we create a very premium, easy to drink, very soft drinking blanco. Blancos are generally hard because they're not aged. They just come they come right out of the distillation and they go in the, into a stainless steel tank for bottling. But the Tavi Tequila Platinum is I'm having a glass right now is a sipping oh, nice. tequila that is that is very enjoyable, uh, very easy to drink on its own. Yet you can mix it. You can make your martinis with it. You can do what you want. But it's super easy to drink. It's Full of nice soft flavors like vanillas and almonds, and that's how we were able to get the name platinum. You can't just wake up in the morning and call your product platinum. The the CRT, which is the Tequila Regulatory Control, uh, they have to approve and grant 
grant you the name platinum. Huh, interesting. We never well, knew about that. I'll, I'll, bet, I'll bet you're up to something next. <laughs> well, well, we do have you, some... Why don't you tell us what that is? We do have some... Uh, you know some some super premium products coming out. Um, I, I think your listeners should know that our our price points right now on our tequila start about fifty nine sixty dollars and currently go up to ninety nine dollars, um, which is the platinum. Been, exactly, but we've yeah. been aging some tequilas now for for about eleven or twelve years and. Um, We'll be working with those in the future, and you'll see an ultra premium, ultra ultra premium type product coming to the market um, soon. Probably only available online. There oh, okay. All right. Well, of course, that was the next question, Western Nevada. Yeah. So right, now, right okay, now, your your uh, your listeners may want to know where to get it. So we yeah. have distribution. We have some distribution through New York and other states. But the easiest way to get it is online, um, You'll take a look at how it's made and some of the things we do. And if you push the buy now, it will take you into the area where you can purchase it. And it can be shipped all over the United States, uh, save for a few control states where you're not allowed to ship liquor into. Yeah, we were one of those, but we're not anymore, thank goodness. You're, that's right. Pennsylvania, yeah, Pennsylvania that's was one for for a long time, and uh, the, the the only good thing we could do was our UPS men like chocolate bars. <laughs> exactly. Yep. You're right. You're right. So, so, so I won't. So he, so he would leave, So he leaves the boxes on the doorstep, unsigned <laughs> uh, for, and then every 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 few visits, I give him more chocolate bars. <laughs> oh, great. That's why I won't mention what states they are because actually, Peter, you're right. They change. They change all the time. So there's a there's a handful, and and anybody that lives there knows which states they are. Yeah, right. we're we're actually okay now. It wasn't always. So. It's only a, a recent phenomenon. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, re- it's it's really because the state these days. It's because the state makes a lot of money out of liquor sales in their in their store. Super, yeah. That, and, uh, that's what that, it's all about for the, that helps for the states. The, that helps the treasury. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be that way. But <laughs> they have a very strong union, the people who work in these state that's also true. stores. Yeah. Well, you need, to, you need to have a friend in government in Harrisburg, too. <laughs> well, it never, never hurts to have a friend in government. Right. It's, it's really funny. The head of the, the head of the liquor control board for the longest time mm-hmm. did, didn't. I don't think he knew anything very much about liquor at all. His mother, but his mother was a judge. <laughs> no, he. Yeah, he, he didn't know anything about it. So, so, so when she retired, he got fired. Well, <laughs> seem, I won't make altogether fair, does it really? Well, I won't make he, any any comment about uh, how. how how well government people know their their business but but they do know how to count votes huh? <laughs> <laughs> well well we well, we certainly enjoyed your story enjoyed um yeah we enjoy the uh, the, the mission of of your company too i mean uh, our uh, 
our nephew and uh, one of our nephews in the UK is working with the National Health Service. He's a, a nurse in the um, court, the, um, what's it called? What is the name? AstraZeneca uh, vaccine trial. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. He, he, so, he, actually, he actually works at the hospital where the, where the where doctors do developed it. So, in, in, and, in, you well, know, it's hard. They, they work them to death, too. I mean, they really work them. This so. isn't technical, but I haven't caught the COVID yet, and I do drink Tavi tequila, so maybe there's a... Uh, <laughs> Better than drinking uh, Clorox, right? <laughs> More fun than Clorox. This, co- this, conversation is really, this conversation is really going downhill fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, we we really uh, have enjoyed it, and um, and we enjoyed talking to you. And, Great! Uh, let's I hope that talking we... with you guys as well. And keep us so, uh, on what what next you do. It's too bad Peter drank the bottle because I tell you guys to go shake yourself up on martini now that it's. <laughs> <laughs> getting close to uh, happy hour and and well, have I, one, I have so. to tell you one little secret here is that I used to be such a, a dedicated um, tequila drinker that you know if you spread your hand and there's that little dent in your between your forefinger and your thumb that you used to put mm-hmm. the salt in. <laughs> oh, there's that no has, salt with Tavi tequila. No, well, we I didn't. I've been not doing that, but I did it for a long really? time when I was young, and that has arthritis in it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> now, 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 now she knows. Now she knows better. Margarita, margaritas cause arthritis. <laughs> oh, you better keep that. Great, a, better keep that a secret. Margaritas are great, but really try uh, try making your favorite martini with Tavi tequila instead, and you'll really have a uh, a nice night. You know, I mean, I really think it's a great sipping spirit myself. That's for sure. And, for sure. Yeah. Although, um, I guess in Mexico City, the, the airport, they used to make sangria, right? Oh, okay. The, 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 well, the, 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 guy, the guy who ran the bar at the American Airlines Club at the airport, he used to come oh, okay, early yeah. every morning at 6 o'clock and make his own sangria. Oh really? Well, I, I know that. Yeah, was, I know the. It was a great start to flying home from, from, working in Mexico City. So I know the club. I'm there all could, the time. Yeah, can well, we? Did you say we can get platinum now, in, like in, 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 online? Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So sorry. We've just uh, we've we've uh, we're we're live with our online store and and everything everything's available. Great. Well, thank you again, Tavi, and, and uh, be Look. good. <laughs> and we'll be good, and we'll promise we'll be back same time, same place next week. And until then, bye bye.